Hello and welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. Today we have a special guest. Nathan Massey. And I'm Josiah Kane, joined as normal by... Chuck Jones. And uh, Nathan is our extra. guest expert, right? Yeah, oh. an extra special guest. Don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's up visiting uh, for the weekend, just hanging out. And I uh, thought it would be a good opportunity to have him on the show. Uh, once again, we're at IHOP, trusting IHOP, and this morning I had the chicken fajita omelet. It's very delicious. Sauté tortillas. Nope, but it had sauté onions and peppers, and very delicious. Good. Yeah, I had the spicy poblano jalapeno omelet or something like that. It's quite good. I had the spinach and mushroom omelet. Was it worth it? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, go ahead and jump right in. Uh, this morning we're talking about original sin or uh, the sin nature of man. Just kind of uh, how that affects our lives, the gospel, whether we agree with it or not, those kinds of things. So Kind of digging around in the trash yeah, bin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Being like raccoons in a dumpster. Let's have a good time. So, uh, Nate brought us this topic. We asked him what he wanted to talk about. And so, I'll just let him start us off. Introduce it. How did you come by this term? Well, um, it's pretty popular in, like, most theology textbooks. Where it's like, they'll, they'll call it, like, the carnal nature of man or the sin nature of man. And... And you, normally those two kind of terms coincide with the idea of original sin. And um, it's always a concept that I've kind of known and talked about in the past. But the reason that I bring it up today is because quite recently I've, I've seen a number of videos from people from like the Word of Faith movement or, you know, the different kind of fringe um, Protestant movements that kind of asserts that we can get to a point where we don't have to sin or we don't sin or like humans are not innately sinful creatures and but not only is that startling to me but I think that it kind of defies the gospel message and what the gospel means I don't um, think Paul the apostle would, have, would agree with him no yeah I totally I don't think so at all uh, I don't think Jesus would agree with them either. <laughs> well, who are they? You know, what are Jesus and Paul? <laughs> oh, yeah. The primary two <laughs> subjects of the New Testament. <laughs> yeah, what authority do they have to talk about this? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> pretty good. All right, you guys, quit being funny. Get down to business. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um... So, like, I picked a couple verses that I kind of wanted to, like, talk about from the Old Testament okay. and the New Testament. Kind of like, and this is not an exhaustive list, but I, I think that it's important to see what Old Testament and New Testament authors thought, thought about people, thought about who they are, and I think that they're is a pretty clear picture that can be drawn. Like I said, this is not an exhaustive list, but I think it's an, a few important lists or like home run verses, in my opinion, that kind of uh, lay everything out. 
And so the first one is uh, Jeremiah 17.9. Oh, yeah. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And this is about, this whole section is about the sin of Judah. It's about um, them building altars and them being idolatrous. And in verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Um, and I, I think that, you know, this lays out a very clear picture of not only in like the idolatrous times, it's not just saying that like, you know, when you are performing idolatry or where you are building altars to other gods, your heart is deceitful and desperately sick, but it just makes the blanket statement that the human heart is, is deceitful above all things. And the term for heart generally comes from the uh, Hebrew word for kidneys. It means like innermost yeah. being. And because of that, it's not just saying that your heart is sick, but the core of who you are is a deceitful and sick person. Well, you know, it's interesting, deceitful and sick, that the definition of evil is, you know what the definition of evil is? Um, Levi spelled differently? I don't know. <laughs> How would you define I, evil? I was testing my wife and she just pointed at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Greek for evil expresses a lack, a lack, something's missing, or something that is unserviceable. You know, if you had a flat tire on your automobile, that would be pretty much unserviceable. You couldn't use it. Or it's incapable. Now, think about what Scripture says about the love of money as the root of all evil. The love of money produces a lack. It makes us unserviceable. And it makes us incapable. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, and, and uh, uh, that was Jeremiah 17? Yeah. I think somebody moved Jeremiah. <laughs> yeah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I actually I like that. Is that the King James? New King James. New King James. Yeah, I but, think that that really drives the point home. And yours says what? Sick? Desperately yeah. sick. Desperately sick, yeah. Who can know it? Yeah. The, the other thing is, is like the... Uh, the Greek term for unclean or like evil that's used a lot is uh, pornea. Yes. And it also has a very strong implication of immorality. Yeah. Because it's the it's like the the root word for like pornography. Like if you look at the term pornography, porn, pornea is like evil, and and evil grapho is yeah. like yeah, it's like evil pictures or evil images. Yeah. And it's like you know. It just shows like a sense of like uncleanness, yeah. like that. Not only like are we are we desperately sick or wicked, or deceitful, but it shows that we are like unclean, unwashed, yes, impure. Our daughter and son-in-law have two dachshund dogs, just little things, 
when they come to our house, we let them out into the backyard, and inevitably they'll find some wild animal dung, and then one little dog just loves rubbing herself in there. Oh, that's horrible. That's a nasty. That's the picture that came to mind when you were talking about pornea, pornography. You're just rubbing yourself in it. Yeah. Thinking you're having a good time. <laughs> yeah. When your master smells you. <laughs> you are unclean and pure. Yeah. And like only in this verse, and we can't make like an exhaustive theology based on one verse, For sure. but it's an excellent picture against like what people are saying. There are popular pastors out there, and I won't name names because I'm not trying to defame anybody, but I will make some quotations where it's like 99.9% um, of people are good in their heart. There's a there's a famous pastor. You know what that is? That's New Age philosophy. That's not scripture. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds good. Ooh, that just rubs me right. That tickles my ears just right. Yeah. You, you shouldn't you shouldn't walk away from a sermon feeling better than you did when you walked in. When you when you when you confront Jesus and when you confront the gospel, you should be laid bare in a way that God can reshape you. I think it's kind of like when you know the potter remolds the clay. If there's an imperfection in the vase, he will smash it. He will put it all back to the root one and then work it from the ground up. And you know, and it, it's exactly as Paul had predicted that people are. No longer interested in sound teaching or sound doctrine, but the tickling of their ears. Yeah. And, yeah, so... I, I had just talked with a fellow the other day who said, yeah, my... And he was kind of proud of this. Yeah, my wife and I are church shopping. And I, he said, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. Wow. I said, well, you're looking for something that... You're, they're teaching things that you like to hear? Well, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we were in a Go group. to the movies. Huh? Just go to the movies. Yeah. We were in a group, and I didn't want to get into it with them. But, you know, that's not healthy. Join a Facebook yeah. group. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was, the, what was the old saying about a preacher? A preacher's job is to comfort the uncomfortable and make uncomfortable those who are. Yeah, that's that's good. You can't be confronted with Scripture and not be... Led to change, yeah. Somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, how did people react to Jesus? Their, their sin may have made them resistant. Their, they may have... A, gladly heard him and repented which is I think the most beneficial response but it's going to be one way or the other yep I think so any other verses you got for us yeah a couple others um, the next one is uh, Psalm chapter 51 ah. or actually Psalm 51 rather <laughs> and um, this is a really important um really important psalm in the context of sin because 
this psalm was written in response to David's iniquity with having Uriah killed on the front line of battle and taking his wife Bathsheba to be his own. And after Nathan, which is a great name, <laughs> after Nathan confronts David, he goes and hides in his closet and writes this psalm. And although it appears to be hyperbolic, it's really important to view how, how David kind of thinks about sin. Uh, so we'll start at 51 verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And if you think about the, the Genesis narrative where we have Adam and Eve and they eat of the, the, fruit of the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they are fallen, creation is cursed. And because of that, because of the sin of our ancestors and, and, the, and the primal humans, now we all have the sin nature to deal with. And in iniquity and in sin are we brought forth. And we are impure and born enemies of God. I think that's how Paul talks about sin is through one man it entered, referring to Adam, through one man sin entered into the human race. And through one man are we redeemed from that sin through Jesus Christ. And it's kind of like, what do you have to do with it? You know, it's like you're here in this situation, but there's nothing good enough that you're going to do to get yourself out of it. You know, you're kind of put in the situation and you're going to be taken out of it despite who you are. I guess despite your works as well. Yeah. The, the other thing that was really striking to me is I think that David's act of repentance is appropriate. So after being accused, for sure, it's like when Jesus encounters people, they repent. Mm -hmm. They're like, I, I now like it's like the 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 veil is torn over my eyes, like the veil is lifted, and I can see clearly and plainly, and in comparison to the beauty of Christ, how ugly and difficult my sin is in, in my nature and, and and everything about it. And because of that, when you realize how sinful and desperately wicked we are. That is when our appreciation for Christ grows because we know that he can, he can change our hearts and He can change our lives. I do know that some people read verse 5 and say that it's actually David's mother who was sinning in the conception of him. Like, some people read it that way. Which, I mean, I'm not here arguing that point, but there are no. people who say like... Yeah, I mean, there are different viewpoints. Who say like, oh... This verse 5 is David saying, like, in sin, like, his mother was acting in sin when he was brought to existence. Of, like, the actual, you know, yeah. act of conceiving. Some people do read it that way, but I don't think that's really what it's trying to say here. Yeah. I, I think it is talking about the, the evilness. Or, that's not the right way of saying it. I think it is talking about the evil in which... David resides from the point of his conception yeah. of humanity. It wasn't, I didn't fall back into anything. It was this way from the beginning. Yeah. 
And it would be also really awkward if he was uh, having this major act of repentance and he just throws his mom under the yeah, bus. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's her fault. <laughs> also, it's kind of interesting. So I am taking a Hebrew poetry class right now, and that is kind of, it's uh, Hebrew parallelism. I was brought forth in iniquity, and then sin my mother did conceive me. Those lines are both, like, when they repeat themselves like that, it's to, like, emphatically imply that this, this is my condition. And Putting it another way. Yeah. And like it, David's sin, you're absolutely right, was complete selfishness. Uh-huh. And the thing is, um, and this is like not like a major theological argument, but we don't have to teach children selfishness. They, they will snatch things out of your hand and say, mine. You don't have to teach them to be selfish, you know. They, they do that all on their own. And although in our human minds that is... A, a small sin compared to other things that could happen. Nevertheless, it's sin. And so I think that, like, our our default factory setting mode is selfishness and, like, what can I get out of this situation? Mm-hmm. But when yeah. we meet Jesus, it's like, you know, how, how can I, with my renewed life, and I owe him everything, how can I serve him to the best of my ability? Mm-hmm. And that's like, when you meet Jesus, you become more selfless. Yeah. You should. You should. <laughs> so any another verse for us? Yeah. So this one's going to be a, a two-for-one special. <laughs> um, so we looked at a, just two short examples in the, uh, the Hebrew Bible. Now let's go to um, New Testament, Romans chapter 8. And I will admit there, a disclaimer here. Um, this is my favorite chapter in all the New Testament. I don't know if you're supposed to have one, but I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll go ahead and give both citations that I have, and then I guess we could talk about them a little bit. Yeah. Um, So the first one that I want to look at, we're going to look at close to the end of the chapter, and then we're going to look back at the beginning. So Romans chapter 8, 18 through 22 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for, um, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who is subjected to it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth uh, until now. So this particular verse is not exactly talking about um, specifically the condition of man, but rather all of creation is thoroughly affected um, by the fall. And I think that since all of creation is cursed, you know, that especially includes humans since we're the ones that essentially caused it. And because of that, I think that it's really important for us to realize that our, our part in the role of the created things. And so... Although I think that man, you know, default factory setting mode is desperately wicked, if we look at like how the creation is fallen and waiting to be renewed, if we look back to Romans 8 verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And even if we are, even in our, our desperation and our wickedness, um, God, God is still redeeming us through the blood of Jesus. And that those impurities that cover us are being washed away by his, his goodness and his sacrifice. And even though we do sinful things and, and we sin every day in word, thought, and deed, there's still no condemnation for those because of the work Jesus did on the cross. 
for those of you who are listening, <clears throat> here's kind of a, a 21st century analogy. You get your iPhone, and it's stuck to a certain set of functions. Like, it can only do certain things. But if you jailbreak it, <laughs> if, you, if you set it free from the bounds of which it was created, it's able to do things above and beyond what it was capable of before. And I think Christ kind of works that way. He kind of jailbreaks us out of this, you know, sin nature and kind of reprograms us in a way and gives us this ability to do things outside of what we were capable of before in this new, this new way of living. And embracing that is... Uh, embracing that as a choice or a gift of grace from God and a life-changing, life-altering moment. But before that, before that time, I think it is, I think it's impossible to get ourselves to the place of perfection outside of that because of who we are and how we were born. Perfection? And you're talking perfection as sinlessness? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're supposed to be perfect, like God is perfect. Mm -hmm. How is God perfect? <laughs> yes. That's the way we should be. Yeah. Is He holy? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the way we should be. Be holy, for I am holy. Yeah. Well, however you think God is holy, that's what He wants out of you. Yeah. And and those like. Unachieve, I mean, truly unachievable <laughs> uh, points are just another testament of how desperately we need Jesus as, as the sacrifice, the mediator between us and God. Because not when we think of Jesus being the mediator between God and man, we think that we're praying through him and the prayer goes to the Father. But not only that, he was also the mediator because he mediated the full wrath of God on the cross. Yep. And be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. These are unattainable. But when Paul really expounds on this in justification, although we our righteousness is filthy rags before God, when God looks at us, He sees Christ because because of our faith and we believe. And yeah. That's really covered covered by Christ as like a pair, yeah. like a new set of clothing. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. So. How does this how does this idea of the sin nature of man affect our livable theology? How does it affect how we talk, how we live, how we preach, those kinds of things? It slays pride. If you think that you if you think that you are good enough and then you can subdue acts of sin on yourself, you have no need for Christ in your life. But I think that the New Testament and the Old Testament, for that fact, are crystal clear that we are in desperate need of saving mm -hmm. from ourselves. Just as the Hebrew slaves needed saving from Egypt, so we need saving from the bondage of sin and death and the law. And because of that, um, there's a true humility that comes when you say, I can't do this on my own. In fact, it's not possible for me to do this on my own. I know that I, I have wicked tendencies. I know that my, my heart is deceitful and desperately sick. And because of that, I need a Savior. And it just produces 
an unequaled humility in our lives that, that cannot be achieved by anything else. And so... Well, shall we sin then that grace may abound? Never may never be. Yeah. The, we're talking about walking in Christ, living in Him, Him living in us, and I think that there is a perfection, a sinlessness that comes with that, that we need to cooperate with God's Spirit in us to bring it about. You know, let this mind, Paul said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Hmm. What does that word let conjure up in your mind? It's going to happen. Get out of the way and let it happen. Let this mind be in you. But we quench the spirit. We grieve the spirit too often because... We there's a football game kind of sidestep sometimes often I would suppose we sidestep the grace that we do have and the, the spirit that is within us to seek our own pleasures and desires and <laughs> move forward yeah. in a way that we see fit yeah and yeah and so I think that we I mean well the older that I get I find new ways to sin <laughs> Chuck Chuck laughs the order that I get. <laughs> but what I realize is there are sins that I used to desperately deal with that I don't struggle with anymore because God is changing my heart mm-hmm. and mind. My father-in-law, before he died, he died like he was 94 years old. And I asked him one morning, I brought the newspaper to him, and I asked him, I said, Pete, does it get easier to deal with sin as you get older? And he said, no. <laughs> it never goes away. If you're not always vigilant, you're going to trip up. That's all there is to it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Uh, I just have one more verse. Yeah. It's just kind of kind Let's of wrapped it. up all, all the ideas. It's also in Romans. It's chapter 6, verse 23. For the Well, let's start a little bit before that. Verse 20. For when you were slaves to sin, uh, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting from all those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, I think that we are all born with the default factory setting of deserving death, being born into iniquity, being born in sin, being absurdly wicked, but, and and we deserve it, but God's grace, free gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his lordship, um, is kind of like the response that we have to have now. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how we live our lives. God has saved us from our own destruction and His wrath, and for that we should be forever grateful. Yep. Yeah. The old man, the old nature, needs to be crucified. Dead. Would Paul say, "I'm 
what did he say about that in Galatians, about being crucified? Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live by faith, by the faith of Jesus Christ. I can't remember the thing. But it, the old man has to be put to death. Romans 6 talks about that. Yeah. In baptism. We were raised to a new kind of life. We're not uh, <coughs> veterans of. We're not old hands at this new way of life. That's the whole point. Yeah. Do you think there's a kind of like the, the other side of this, do you think there's any danger in not seeing things this way? Like, does it bring about a, a potential problem with your faith or a, a, you know, a slippery slope or something along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom. What? What? Haven't I been doing that my whole life? Yeah. Haven't I cast out demons and and perform miracles and in your name? Yeah. And Jesus said, "I don't know who you are." Yeah. A natural continuation of this idea of man being innately good um, really is what brought about the Word of Faith movement. That not only are we good, but if we try to be as good as possible, that God will give us health, wealth, and prosperity. And there is nothing more dangerous than saying that because Jesus did not come to give health, wealth, and prosperity, especially in this life. Yeah, not in this age. Yeah, but he came to slay the sin in our hearts. I was just studying about the parable of Lazarus and the rich man and Lazarus. Speaking of health, wealth, and prosperity. Yeah. Mm. Yep, kind of does a little flip-flop on our natural thinking. It's actually the rich man who is... In trouble. In trouble. And it's the poor man who's glorified in the coming age. Yeah. And so, like, you know, if you think that you're good and you think that, you know, if if you truly, honestly think that in your heart and mind, you have no reason to come to Jesus. But when you, even if you, you even if you've never murdered anybody, you've still been angry at somebody. And Jesus says if you're angry at your brother, you've killed him. Even if you've never slept with a married woman, if you look at a woman with adult or lustful eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus says it's not about the physical things we do, but He has come to flip our thinking. He has come to slay the sin in our hearts. He has come to give us life in in abundance. And that doesn't mean in health, wealth, and prosperity. It means that He's going to save us from sin and death right now, and in the future, in His glorious return then we will have the health wealth and prosperity oh yeah that's Romans 8 that's the redemption that's coming we're we're in this way now it's not going to be this way later whatever you're suffering now ain't worthy to be compared to how good it's going to be yeah Yeah. just like I I guess it's essentially unimaginable I mean we can try our best to think but we can't theorize yeah. infinity. Yeah, yeah, we can't, we can't do that. We, we don't don't understand that. That's, wait a minute, let me throw this in there. Ecclesiastes, the preacher said that God has put eternity in our hearts. Yeah, yeah I think we desire for it. Well, let me throw this out so give you something to chew on all afternoon. 
Now you have to hold on to my rules here. Okay. <laughs> can you think of a yeah? Can you think of a time that you weren't here? Not I mean in this restaurant, but alive. Yeah. I can't. No. <laughs> you know there was though, right? Yeah, for sure. Intellectually. And I'm sure that there will be a time when I won't be alive. Mm. Let's not talk about that too much, but, but <laughs> that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, look at, you drive by a cemetery and it's full of people who didn't really think that they were going to be there. I, one of my favorite lines at a funeral is, we all know we're going to die, but some of us are hoping death will make an exception in our case. It won't. Well, <clears throat> So, if you take your experience, you can't imagine a time by your experience that you weren't alive. Nor can you, by you with your experience, imagine a time you won't be alive. That's eternity. Mm -hmm. From there to there. <laughs> yeah. For sure. <clears throat> yeah. Trying to think of living. I know it's the argument of an old feeble man. <laughs> trying to imagine living a million years in this age sounds miserable. <laughs> you know. Well, you know. Again, the psalm says, David says, "Teach us to number our days." Hmm. Well, if in the age to come, are there going to be year markers? <laughs> yes. You know, annual celebrations of, hey, this is what it all started. Yeah. Or, Welcome to the 5 million, 536 <laughs> celebration of the beginning of the kingdom of God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are we even going to need to keep track of it? It's not going to run out. You keep track of your gas for the gas gauge because there's a possibility <laughs> to use it all up. Yeah. And in life in this age is the same thing. Yeah. There's a possibility you can waste it all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But in the age to come, it ain't gonna be wasted. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It'd be sun powered. <laughs> well, I would say to people, and I, now That's I know good. it's now I know it's true that in this life you hit a you hit an age where there's really not much to look forward to because will I be alive? Do I have enough strength? Can I get it accomplished before the end comes? And so that limits everything. It puts kind of a depression on you. But in the kingdom, they, none of those limitations happen. Yeah. You never get too old, you never get too weak, you never get too sick. Yeah. You never run out of time. Mm -hmm. You think the kingdom ain't wonderful? Yeah. Wait till you get older <laughs> and then you'll find out. Yeah. So just a, a quick summary. Kind of what we talked about. I, I think we agree here that man is born sinful, that yeah. we're kind of born into that system, and that there is a way out through Christ Jesus, and, yeah. and realizing that fact, 
humbles us, you know. Yeah. Having having that humility in our lives is extremely important. And I think in accepting the gospel and accepting the gift is realizing, hey, we, we do need it. Um, and so, not that I'm here to say that you are the worst thing that's ever existed. Don't, don't hear that. But what I am saying is you need to understand your true stance and relationship to God and understanding that you do deserve nothing but death. And once you get to that point, you truly understand that, that you deserve nothing but to be killed, dead right now. The fact that every breath you have, then it becomes a realization that every breath you have is the grace of God. And that is a good way to live. (laughs) For sure. I think. It's the only way to live, really. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for listening uh, to this episode of Breakfast Theology. Nathan, thank you for coming. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, guys. Great having you here. Until next time.